0: Have you ever had a problem in your business? You took some action to solve that problem, only to find out a few months later that you still had the same problem? Do you find yourself saying things like, I thought we fixed that a few weeks ago. We already solved that problem. Welcome to the Fab Lab Podcast. I'm your guest host, Ed Young. You know, Aaron should be back soon after spending three weeks gallivanting around the western part of the US with his family. Wait, what? Did you hear what I just said? Aaron will have been off work for three weeks straight. How can that be? How is he able to do that? Sure, he sold a fab shop, but he still owns the no lift install system company. And when he had his fab shop he was still able to take time off with his family, even though he owned both businesses. How in the world is that even possible? Well, part of the answer is, and you've heard both Aaron and me talk about it. Part of it is, if you spend more time working on your business and not in your business, then you can start taking time off too. This means spending less time selling or templating or programming or dealing with customers, and spending more time planning, training, and also effectively identifying solving problems. And by effective, I mean solutions to those problems need to stick. They need to be durable. They need to last more than a few weeks or a month or so. Well, there's one great process improvement that you can access very easily, and it'll solve a lot of problems in your business that solution is the no lift install system.
1: Hey there, stone shop owner. The current labor market definitely creates a problem for stone shop owners who are super busy and struggling to find employees. This creates an almost unimaginable problem for a stone shop who loses a highly skilled installer to an injury or to a better career opportunity in another industry. Imagine the impact to your schedule. Profits and morale if you lost your best installer at a time when your workload is at an all-time high. The cost to your company would be enormous. But there is a solution. The solution that over 1,600 stone shops have found. The no-lift install system. It dramatically improves install performance, employee retention, and quality of life for the installer. Not to mention reduced risk of broken counters, reduced dependency on shop labor, and lowering costs and improving profits. No-Lift System is offering $250 freight discounts, so visit noliftsystem.com to get pricing and information. Again, mention this episode number and get $250 off the freight for your No-Lift System. Visit noliftsystem.com today.
0: So how do you solve problems in your business and make those solutions stick? How do you make them last more than a few days or a few weeks? How do you get your people to accept your solutions? The answer is, you don't. There's an old saying that goes something like this. Tell me, and I'll probably forget, teach me, and I might remember, involve me, and I will learn. Getting your people involved in in developing and crafting solutions to problems and improving how your business runs is hands down the best way to make those solutions last. And here's a pro tip. You'll also come away with better quality solutions. So how do you do this? How do you make it work? You know, a lot of uh, books written about problem-solving methods, but what are some simple things that we can do today that'll make a difference? You know, as owners and managers, we're conditioned to telling people what to do and how to do it. We're the ones who answer all the questions that come up every day. That's our job, right? Not necessarily. If we want to design our businesses to function without us being there all the time, then one of the things we've got to figure out how to do is grow the capabilities of our people learn to grow our people. So how do you do that? How do you grow people? The simplest thing is to stop telling and start asking. I like to say God gave us two ears and one mouth. The two ears weren't just for stereo. And it's more than a hint. I think it's a really strong direction to listen at least twice as much as we talk. Here's an example. How many times a day are you find yourself answering questions that people should probably already know the answers to? Would you like to spend less time answering those questions, free up some time so you can work on your business? This is actually pretty easy to do. There's a, a technique that I have taught a lot of managers to do, and when they do it, they get a lot of really great results. And it's called I don't know what do you think, and what that means is. An employee comes to you and asks you a question, you're pretty sure they know the answer or they should know the answer. And then what you do is you look at them, you say, I don't know, what do you think? And then close your mouth, press your lips together, open your ears and listen. Do not say another word. That's key. If you keep talking, you're ruining it. So just say, I don't know, what do you think? And then shut up. Several things will come out of that. Several possible scenarios. One is, you know, you're going to run across somebody who just doesn't have confidence for whatever reason. <clears throat> they may just not be a confident person. They may be a new employee, may be in a new position. They need to kind of some validation to improve their confidence. And you're going to when they when they you ask them and they give you a good answer, you say, "Sue, that sounds great. Go for it." And so what you're doing is you're reinforcing their judgment. And if you do that consistently, and they're giving you good answers, they will eventually quit asking you a lot of those questions. Because they'll know that you know that they know the answer. And you will have helped improve their confidence and validate their judgment. So that's one scenario. Another scenario is, you know, sometimes there are people who just need permission for whatever reason could be how they're raised, could be any number of things. But it's the same thing. You ask them the question, they give you an answer. It's a good answer. Well, Bob, sounds good to me. Go for it, man. And if you do that consistently and they're giving you good answers, same thing will happen. They'll stop asking you as many questions because they know that you know, that they know the answer and they know that, you know, you've given them permission to go out and use their judgment to solve those issues, answer those questions. Now, here's another opportunity, another scenario that comes out. Some people just genuinely don't know or understand how to make a particular decision, maybe something new form, something they haven't come across. Um, and, They'll either resist giving you an answer, and so you got to probe a little bit, and then finally they'll give you an answer, and it's not really what you need to hear. It's not the right answer. Now you've identified a training opportunity, and so a good, you know, you put together whatever's needed to help get that person trained up, you know, give them the information that they, that they need, get them the experience and support that they need, the tools they need, and then they can make good decisions. So if you want to grow the capability of your people, you need to train them, you need to reinforce them, you need to delegate both responsibility and authority within a certain span of control. You need to ask questions and then listen. You'll learn a lot. So simple thing like, I don't know, what do you think? And then listening can really tell you a whole lot. And it's a really great thing to do. It's really easy. And if you practice it, I have yet to find a good manager or or an owner who doesn't get good results out of this. It's it's really, really a great tool. So what about this challenge of solving a problem and then you made a change in a process or procedure and all of a sudden, a few weeks later, we're back to where we started. Problem didn't say solved. The key to this is getting employees involved in crafting that solution. So how do you do this? Let me give you an example. I had a client that was a rock quarry. They took big rocks out of the ground, made little rocks out of them. Different types of things like thin veneer, full bed death, chopped stone, um, dimensional stone, pool coping, all types of, of products like that. They had multiple machine steps. They had multiple process flows. They had a lot of different types of products just like you've got. Variability in the types of granite and how they run. They had variability in their materials in terms of size, color, hardness, and that sort of thing. The guy who was running the operation, I was watching him every morning, and he'd be handing out work orders to people. I need you to make this thin veneer, and he's to make this pool coping, you know, whatever it was. And I can hardly remember a day going by when he didn't have of the half a dozen or so people he was handing these orders out to for the day. He'd have at least one, two, sometimes three of them come back and say, boss, I don't have any material to make this order from. I don't have any stuff. And there'd be a lot of conversation back and forth. And so finally, you know, the guy with the manager would, would put the order back on the board and he'd hand him another order and off the guy would go and, and make product for the day. And then the manager's got to spend the next few hours figuring out what's going on. And the way they were scheduling this operation, which I thought was pretty cool, was they had three or four large four by eight magnetic white erasable boards. And they had these these small three by three orders up on the boards with magnets and different areas of the quarry and the mill lined off on the boards and they moved the the orders. And I thought that was a really good way to do it. It's visual. It's visceral, forces you to think through process flow. It's a it's a good system. But obviously there was some, some holes in it. So, you know, I'm a Lean Six Sigma Black Belt. I'm a a TOC Jonah. I've I've had jobs as, you know, operations improvement, process improvement type work, industrial engineering. I, I could have redesigned that process for him. It wouldn't have been that tough to do. But instead, what I did, I said, so what is it about this board that makes it tough for you to know if you've got the materials you need for a specific order? And he looks at me and he looks at the board. And he looks at me and he looks at the board and he scratches his head a little bit. And then I went and did something else. I left him to it. Well, he started working on that board. And later that afternoon, you know, we had a short conversation about a few things. He had some questions, wanted to run a few things by me. Same thing happened, you know, off and on every day for the rest of the week. And at the end of that week, he had improved that process. Now it wasn't perfect. It still had a lot of holes. But something interesting happened the next week. You know, the end of that week, I hopped on an airplane, flew home. I was with another client the following week. Well, this guy's still there. He's got to still run this business. And this curveball comes up that he hadn't thought about, something he'd forgotten about. And it revealed a hole in his process, uh, a gap in his process for scheduling with this new system he was developing. And so what he did was he went, huh, okay. And he started changing his system again. He started improving his system. And he continued to do that over the next several months. You know, I could have improved that process quicker. Probably would have gotten, gotten him a better performing system within that week visit. But the following week when that curveball showed up, you know what probably would have happened? He'd have gone, oh, man, that Ed, I, yeah, I, I wasn't sure this system was going to work. Man, I really liked the way I used to do this. And when I showed up next time, he'd be right back at square one. The thing is, his solution wasn't perfect at the beginning, and it took him a lot longer to get to a really good system. But he kept working on that system, and as new challenges came up, he adapted to them, and he had continuously improved in system. And over a series of months, he developed something that was better than what I would have developed. And the reason was it was his system. It wasn't mine. He owned it because he had developed that system by having the, by asking the right open ended questions, giving him time to work on it and then having the patience to wait and let him work through it and support him as he did that. The company came out with something that was better than anything anybody else could have done for better than any computer program, better than anything else it worked really well for. So this is just a simple example of getting your people involved and making a process change and making it stick. He continued to use that system for as long as I knew anything about the company, okay, as long as he was there. You know, what I found out through the years, I've, I've done this type of work in literally hundreds of manufacturing plants around the world. And what I found out is that People who run a machine or perform a job, they know those processes better than anyone else. I can remember I was about 30 years old, early in my career. I walked into a, a, manu, a manufacturing plant. It was my first day on the job of this company. And there were people who had worked in that plant longer than I'd been alive. <laughs> that was a pretty eye-opening experience. These folks, as soon as they walked into the plant in the morning, they could tell by the sounds that they heard. They could tell by the smells in the building what kind of day it was going to be and how well things were or weren't going to run. I learned from that experience and others that that nobody knows a particular job any better than the employee who has to live with it every day. And over time, I learned that asking questions was really the best way to discover new information. The, The challenge is really knowing how to ask those questions and do them in a way that really engages the employee. And and there are good ways to do this and there are better ways to do this. Here's another example. Let's say you've been looking at some jobs that are little in A-frame, ready to go out for install tomorrow. And you notice that there's some scratches and chips that, that got missed. And you know who probably touched that last. You know, you can walk up to that employee and say, you know, why didn't you catch this? Well, what's, what's the problem? Why, did, why didn't you do this? Well, what are you going to get? Well, you're probably going to get excuses, right? Because the person's going to feel attacked to some, some degree. Your question, just by its nature, just blamed him or her for doing something wrong or for missing something. The employee is going to immediately get defensive. And even though you know that employee missed catching that error or ignored it or, or maybe even caused the error, and, and even though you're perfectly justified as the owner or the manager to conduct this inquisition, you're not going to get a good solution to your problem. About all you're going to achieve is lowering the motivation of that employee. And employees are hard enough to find as it is. You certainly don't want to take ones that you've already got and run them off. And this approach also is going to build a culture of hiding mistakes and people avoiding responsibility because there's going to be always negative repercussions. So if you want to turn that around, here's a suggestion. If you want to build a culture of of involvement and problem solving, if you were to approach the employee and say, wow, Bob, you know, it looks like it's really tough to, to catch all these scratches or Fix all these chips or whatever the defect is, the problem is that you've you've identified. You know, it looks like it's really tough to catch all of these or prevent all these. From your experience, what's the biggest obstacle to preventing this? Or what's the biggest obstacle to catching this? And then again, shut your mouth, stop talking, listen. You're going to, by doing it, by approaching the situation this way, you're going to have accomplished several things. First, instead of blaming the employee, now you're going to, now you've already demonstrated. Without saying it, you've demonstrated that you value their experience. From your experience, what's the biggest obstacle? So you value their experience. You've positioned this problem-solving exercise as me and you against the problem rather than, dude, you messed up. You made a mistake. So that's positive. You've also acknowledged that that particular issue, that part of their job, isn't always easy. I mean, few jobs are really super simple and always easy. And that you understand that the employee has got some challenges they have to deal with every day. So you're in the process of doing this, you're already raising the self esteem of the employee. You're supporting them in a way, you're not attacking them. Now they're open to thinking about something. And so you're asking for help and identifying obstacles. You're not asking what's the problem. You're not asking for a solution to the problem. All you want to know is what is it that's preventing this from being done correctly, consistently? And so you're automatically engaging the employee, you're causing them to think through, okay, what is the obstacle? What is the thing that keeps me from doing that? And if you listen, Identify those obstacles and remove them, then you're going to improve that process and you're going to have engaged the employee in improving that process and done it in a really constructive manner. That's going to be huge for you. You know, the process, you may learn something. You may find out from the employee, well, you know, I, I can't see these scratches because, you know, my air hose has had this this crack in it and duct tape just doesn't cut it anymore and i've been asking for a new air hose for six weeks now i can't get it and then you remember that the purchase order for that air hose is buried under a stack of things on your desk you hadn't gotten to yet and you're the problem you know that can happen um you know you may have a supervisor a lead person or a plant manager who Because you've been really pushing on cost control, has been delaying buying the squeegees that this employee needs to get the water off the stone so they can see these scratches. You know, all sorts of things like that can come to light that maybe you didn't think about uh, when you first, when this problem first popped up. So ask the question, engage the employee, listen, and you're going to find a lot of good positive things and you're going to encourage people to interact and try to solve these problems in the future. Puts you and the employee on the same side of an issue, same side that wants to solve the problem. Shows the employee that you value their knowledge, you value their experience, it raises their self-esteem instead of hammering it. And if you'll ask questions and then stop talking, you stand to learn a lot. Really builds your people up. And when you build your people up well, that you don't have to be at the plant in the business all the time. There's a guy named W. Edwards Deming that you may have heard of. He was the guy who went over to Japan after World War II and helped rebuild all their manufacturing plants and, and how they run their manufacturing plants, trained a lot of folks, was a, a probably one of the single biggest influenced uh, people of influence in manufacturing in the world. Um, and he's got a saying that I like a lot. He says that 85% of the reasons for failure are deficiencies in the systems and processes rather than the employee. The role of management is to change the process rather than badgering individuals to do better. That's his quote. What he's saying is 85% of your problems come from the processes and systems in your business, not from their employees. Fixing these systems, improving these processes, that's the core of working on your business. So if you want to do like Aaron and be able to take a lot of time off, that's the kind of stuff you got to work on. You know, like I said, I've worked in in a lot of plants around the world in in my, my career. And I found that really most employees want to do a good job. They want to be valuable employees. They want to do meaningful work. They want to be part of a successful winning organization. And I think as owners and managers, we're responsible for creating the right environment for that, the right culture. And it's that culture that comes as a result of our beliefs, and those beliefs will drive our daily actions. And hopefully what I've done is, is given you some suggestions on some new daily actions to take that'll help you with that. It's kind of interesting, as managers, we're kind of, we're really conditioned to constantly find and solve problems. You know, if we go out and fix what's broken, then things will get better, right? This means that our days are filled with le- with looking for what's wrong. You know, looking for problems to solve, looking for people making mistakes. When you think about it, that's a fairly negative way to live, isn't it? Well, if you want to change it, you might try this instead. At least once every day, walk around your company and intentionally look for and focus on something that's being done correctly. I'm not talking about the Superman heroic, save-the-day kind of efforts that will happen from time to time. But just that regular, day-to-day, consistent execution of something correctly, that edge that's been polished properly. The the quality checklist for the job loaded on the A-frame that was thoroughly checked, it was done on time, it was signed off on, and when you pick the checklist up and you look at the job and duplicated the effort It's obvious they didn't pencil whip it. They actually did the inspection. Or you find somebody who's preventing a trip and fall because they got a trip hazard out of the way. Go out and hunt for these positive things. They're not super, you know, they're not exemplary type things. but And yeah, this is what you pay them to do every day. Sure. But it doesn't cost you anything to thank people for doing it. And it goes a lot. It makes your day brighter. And it goes a long way toward improving your culture. Just a nice smile, a pat on the back and thank you. It just goes a long, long way. You know, you'll also run across some exceptional performance. And I've got a, got clients who will keep $50 gas cards in their pockets. And when they're out in the business, the front office, plant, wherever, and they see something they think is really important, really exceptional being done well, they'll hand out some $50 gas cards to the people responsible, thank them. And it's a, it's a it's not a guarantee of something that's going to happen all the time. It's just an ad hoc, as-needed, situational-type reward. It's an informal reward. But it's a great reinforcement for people doing the right behavior. And that's for those exceptional things. And I'm, I know you're all having weekly meetings, process meetings, progress meetings, production meetings. I'm sure you're having a monthly all-hands meetings to talk about your business. And obviously, those are great times to to acknowledge people who are doing the types of things you want them to do. Not necessarily the Superman save the day things, but just some of the day-to-day good job, consistent, man, thanks for being here every day and for doing things right. There's a lot to be said for that. I've got some clients who in their daily stand-up meetings, they'll start with a question, okay, so who has seen something good happen in the last 24 hours? Uh, Focus on something positive. It's just so easy to get lost in the negative. You know, making changes like these aren't expensive, uh, but they can be challenging. I mean, it's it's really tough to, to get over our old habits. It takes consistent practice. You know, the reality is you may decide this is worth doing and, and commit to doing it well, and you work hard at it, and for a couple of days it goes great, and all of a sudden you're in the middle of a dumpster fire. Yeah, that's just the nature of the beast, and that's not unique to this industry. That's just that's just manufacturing plants and business. That Those things happen. But once the fire is out, commit to going back and continuing practicing these habits. Do that, do it consistently. You'll have fewer dumpster fires. You'll have a lot more really great days. I think it's important to understand that our businesses are running exactly the way we have designed them to run. You know, Aaron's obviously designed his business to run without him. Well, you can too. And if you don't like how your business is running and if you aren't sure what you need to change, Contact Aaron at aaroncrawley.com or or contact me at fabricatorscoach.com. And if for some really strange reason, you just don't like the looks of either one of us, our feelings will be hurt, but we'll get over it. (laughs) But the point is, find somebody to relate to, find somebody you trust, and get them to help get your business running the way you want it to run. You deserve to have a business that makes you money and also allows you time to enjoy it. I think it's critical. Folks, we're officially in a recession, at least in my opinion. And I think a lot of folks would agree. I don't think it's going to be 2008, 2009 all over again, but we've got some economic headwinds coming our way. And if you listen to my interview last week with Gina Gardner, she said, and and she really focused on, this is not the time to stop marketing and promoting your business. In fact, this is the time to get your marketing and sales really dialed in. At some point, you're going to need more orders, maybe sooner, maybe later, but you're going to need them. Well, to help with that, I'm offering a uh, 10-week workshop that'll start after Labor Day and go till Thanksgiving that'll help you with your marketing activities, help you with your sales activities, and give you some really key metrics to help drive those. If you're interested, hit fabricatorsbusinessacademy.com. That's fabricatorsbusinessacademy.com for more info. We'll also have a link in the show notes as well. Folks, I appreciate your time. I really enjoyed this opportunity to guest host for Aaron. Hopefully, we'll talk again sometime soon. Until then, happy fabricating.